0: Welcome to Lillipod Episode 40: Healing and Thriving with Dr. Sean Brotherson. <laughs>
1: Jeff and Kathy Tykert bringing you another episode of LilyPod, which is a production of Love in Later Years. We are certified life coaches and members of The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Our messages are directed toward mid-singles and later married couples. We also welcome all who enjoy personal growth and enriching relationships.
0: We are Jeff and Kathy Tykert with Love in Later Years, and today on LilyPod, we have Dr. Sean Brotherson, and Jeff's gonna introduce him as our guest.
1: Uh, Sean has dual bachelor's degrees from BYU in English and Family Science and a master's degree in Family Science also from BYU. Uh, He has a PhD in Family Science from Oregon State University and he is a, a state extension specialist. Is that right, Sean? That's the, right,
2: and professor, yep, yeah, at North State Dakota North State Dakota University.
1: And, and professor at North Dakota State University uh, in family, the family science field. And uh, his programming and research is on parenting and fatherhood, healthy marriage, grief and loss, family stress and transitions, early childhood education, prevention, science, and family life education programs. We wanted to bring him on uh, because several of these topics uh, overlap the work that we do and also uh, the book that we've written. And we invited Sean uh, to be a beta reader for our book as well as an editor, and he uh, gave us a lot of helpful suggestions in, in that role. So uh, I'd also like to, to say by way of disclaimer that uh, I've known, well, I've been good friends with Sean for 33 years um I I know him better than he would probably like. Uh but I can also tell you that he married the first girl he ever kissed. So anyway, to our to our listeners, hope you enjoy that little tidbit. And <laughs> well, he, welcome, Sean. He
0: came all the way to our wedding
1: uh,
0: right. from North Dakota. And that was so fun to have him here for that. Sean, welcome.
2: Thank you. It's great to be with you on Lollipod this afternoon. I'm coming to you, as you can see, from sunny Hawaii, but really in North Dakota. This is just my Zoom background today. So for all of you who dream of getting away for a few days to Hawaii, you can gaze upon my background today and you too can wish that you were somewhere on a tropical beach while really being in your home wherever you're located, so.
1: That's so great. If anybody watches this on YouTube and wonders why he's wearing a sweater on the beach, now you know. <laughs>
2: um, although I should say the weather has been lovely in North Dakota as well. So we're just getting into the fall colors here, I'm sure, as you are in Utah and would remind people it's a great time of year to get out and see fall colors if that's an opportunity Definitely. in your area.
0: It's beautiful yep. colors this time of year.
2: For sure. Nope. We're, in
0: loop We're in Utah. We're in Utah.
1: All right. So, so to launch into the, the interview and the questions, as a family science professor and as a bishop, I didn't mention he was a bishop in the church for five years. But as a family science professor and as a bishop, what challenges have you seen for single parents, uh, whether or not the, parent, the other parents in the picture?
2: Yeah, that's a great question, Jeff. Um, You know, I'm teaching a parenting class right now. I teach it uh, regularly at the college level as well as a lot of community education, parenting classes. And I guess I'd say that parenting is probably the most demanding job that we can take on in life for which we might have limited preparation. Um, You know, we don't require like we require someone to go through some training when they're getting a driver's license, but we don't require them to go through the same type of training when they're stepping into the role of being a parent. Um, And uh, single parents often face the tasks involved in parenting, um, feeling insufficient in their preparation to handle many of those tasks. But I think that's true for really parents in any situation, whether whether you are partnered or or not. Um, But for example, think about it if you're a single father and you are tasked with the challenge of raising two school age girls who become teenagers and they don't have the daily guidance of a mother in the home to assist them, you know, as a parent, you might feel somewhat insufficient to the tasks that are that are facing you, Kathy, as you've had two Boys, for example, you've probably felt some of those feelings at times. And so that's where education comes in, and mentoring from other parents is really important um, because um, most parents are capable of being able to meet those tasks, but we need to grow. Parenting is a developmental experience. um, And we often don't think about that way. We think we just step into that role and we're supposed to be able to perform but it's very much a developmental experience for us. Um, so I'd say just that is really one of the first big challenges is feeling up to the task and getting the preparation, education, mentoring, that's gonna help you to be able to, to be a healthy parent. The other thing is, um, you know, another major challenge I've seen in the case of single parents is they tend to feel more isolated from others, uh, including fellow church members at their Latter-day Saints. And so they experience a less rigorous support system to meet the daily challenges that come with parenting. Um, Parenting is a stressful experience with challenges that happen every day. Um, and, And it demands your patience, your attention, and your problem solving. And when someone is married or they're partnered in a healthy way with someone else, then they can rely on each other for support. You can use a tag team approach to handle basic tasks. For example, Getting some food on the table for a family meal. Um, I'll um, reference my own parenting experience. I'm a I'm a father of eight children. Uh, my wife and I have had eight kids. We're still raising those kids with five at home, and so just getting a meal on the table at night sometimes is the task, right? And sometimes one of us needs to tag the other one and say, okay, hey, your turn tonight." Um, but single parenting and that term basically refers to your partner status. Um, it too often results in the feeling of what you might call solo parenting, which is the idea of going through um, the parenting experience with only yourself as the resource to your kids, and that can be that can be exhausting and it can be discouraging. So you know, in, instead of going through kind of a solo parenting experience. Um, if you can develop a reliable um, and healthy support network, that's a really critical element for those who are parenting while single. Um, and those individuals in your support net network, they can include, you know, they can include a current or former partner if that relationship is healthy. Um, it can be family members such as siblings, parents, other family members, um, friends, fellow church members. But to me, a healthy support net network it's kind of like a trampoline to help you bounce back uh, during times of struggle or difficulty so that so sometimes feeling the lack of that support network and also doing explicit things to develop that support network is really important i think because social support is one of the key key things that we look at for single parents and their well-being and also to the to their healthy parenting efforts it's really really important so, so I'd say that's kind of a, a couple of the major challenges I would reference. I guess maybe more from a, a spiritual perspective, you know, ha, um, and in my experience with, with counseling people in, in that role, um, as a, as someone who's been an ecclesiastic leader, one of the consequences I've observed in the life of single parents is that there's often a fairly difficult or painful or even toxic relationship with a former partner that they need to deal with and that just complicates their parenting experience. Um, It can complicate something as simple as you know you have a teenage child who's going to participate in a church-sponsored activity but it's scheduled to occur during the other parent's parenting time or it might involve you know you may be at odds with that other parent and that parent is getting the child to to take sides or they might speak negatively about you in front of the kids. So sometimes you and your kids are placed in a situation where you're harmed or you're hurt by that former partner's uh, bad choices or bad behavior. And so from a perspective of those who are are close to or supportive of someone in that single parent situation, just being attentive to that potential or occurring reality in the life of someone who is single I think is really critical in lending support. Uh, I get th- maybe one other thing that I've seen is that a fairly common outcome of the single parenting experience is it can take a toll on your spiritual stability, and, and by that I mean if someone enters the single parent experience as a result of divorce, for example, divorce itself is a very stressful transition that often de- destabilizes your life for a period of time. For example, I've had conversations with Jeff and he said, you know, when I went through ex divorce experience, I found myself just kind of struggling to kind of keep keep life together for a period of time after going through that really um, difficult transition. And so it can take a toll just on your spiritual um, life and your activity level. Life already feels pretty exhausting during that kind of time period. So if you're doing Basic, you know, spiritual activities like attending church or fulfilling church assignments that can start to feel pretty overwhelming. So, communicating about that situation with your church leaders um, can help. So, if adjustments need to be made, um, that's important. Or, and just focusing on spiritual practices that are going to help sustain you is helpful. But, those are some of the challenges that I've seen. Jeff and Kathy, in, in that particular context, and I know that you address some of those specifics, you know, in your forthcoming book, Intentional Courtship. You know, how does uh, the experience of becoming a single parent affect your spiritual life? You know, and what are the elements of your spiritual life that that uh, um, you want to attend to, but also others should be sensitive to when you're going through that experience. So I think that's important.
0: Um, so I have a follow-up to this um, uh, all great information and I-, I was just thinking of the double whammy placed on single parents if they're socially isolated and not getting as much support as partnered couples and they don't have their partner you know that's that's a that's a lot of effort they have to make to go and create their own network, which you're saying is important. So have you seen in your own, Ward, how that has worked, if, if they've done things that were creative to get that support, because sometimes they might not have family around. Um, I'm sure each person's situation is different, but I'm just wondering if you could cite any examples or maybe any ways that you think we could give the listeners to create that support system for themselves.
2: Yeah, I, you know, I think um, there are certainly me- mechanisms within the latter day saint setting that allow for those support systems to be in place and to be nurtured. I think sometimes they're going to be formal. For example, uh, we know that, um, that among the adult members of the church, that there are ministering assignments that exist. And for example, um, my wife for a number of years has, has had a ministering assignment. And I, uh, her in that with a, with a sister who's gone through a, a divorce experience. Um, you know, and they go to lunch regularly, you know, a lot, a lot of the support that is extended there. It's, it's, you know, um, even though there's a formal assignment, I mean, it's very informal support It's, hey, you know, um, uh, you have, you, you know, you're raising a child and your child is graduating from high school now during COVID. Can I help you with that? Can I be there for you? Sometimes it's as simple as, hey, Let's go grab some lunch and tell me how things are going as you're going through this transition experience. What are, okay, so what are your plans? So You're encouraging
0: so, people to show up in that capacity. Um, if So hopefully we have some <laughs> listeners that will take that to heart and be right. more aware of the single parents in their area. Um, and then I guess on the other side, if you're single and you're ministering uh, families aren't reaching out, you could reach out to them. I mean, that's harder. I think it's always easier when someone reaches out and have a hand of fellowship. But um, I I like to empower mid-singles to create the life they want and be willing to go out of their comfort zone, even if it means asking for help.
2: Yeah, and, and I think you speak to a reality, Kathy, which is I think just part of the fabric of human experience is that we Often do not necessarily know how to be supportive to or minister to someone whose experience is unlike our own, and 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 certainly that can be true if you've gone through a divorce experience or a widowhood experience or or something else. Um, It's not that people around you don't care about you, but they may be very uncertain or even uncomfortable with with trying to figure out how to be supportive to you. They simply they don't have a script you know, um, that tells them how to help someone through this kind of experience. My my dissertation research was about loss of a child and it was very interesting. Parents who I interviewed often said, well, I joined the club that nobody wants to join, <laughs> right? right? Like I, I didn't sign up for this, but now I'm in it and I'm I'm gonna be in it for the rest of my life. And I noticed that not only, I mean, I didn't wanna join it, but now, people don't know how to treat the people who were part of that club. They don't really know how to help us. So it's actually helpful for me to talk to people who are in the, you know, parent who lost a child club because Mm -hmm. at least they get it. Right. And I think the same is, is often true for those who who are trying to support one another, whether in a familial or an ecclesiastical setting is they simply, they simply don't have a, a script that tells him, tells them, you know, this is what someone is going through, this is what they're experiencing with their kids, or maybe with a former partner, and how you might be helpful in that situation. And so, so I think you're very right, communicating um, explicitly and clearly about some of those needs can really be helpful to people who want to be a support, but they may not have um, have a, an understanding of what is going to really be be meaningful right. to you in that situation. And
0: I think that we want to have our book become that thing that can help loved ones understand. So we hope not just mid-singles, but those who love and care for mid-singles will read it and gain a better understanding. Um, and so I, I gained from your answer that mid-singles can support each other because they understand each other, they're in that club that they never wanted to be in. Um, but we can also help Teach those around us how to love and serve us better because they probably want to, they just don't know how. And so we can help them to do that by being honest about our situation and what we need.
2: Right. And that was one of the things I really appreciate about you and Jeff being willing to address the topic of individuals who are experiencing the single life um, as adults and in the Latter day Saint faith is that um, you know, it brings that, it brings that population, so to speak, um, more to the forefront and helps, uh, helps us think about what are their needs? What are their aspirations? What are, you know, um, there's a youth development expert who, who I study quite a bit, who often says of youth, who we think of as, you know, teenagers are a problem. And he said, and his, his biggest message is, teenagers are a tremendous resource they're amazing in their potential and what they can do let's let's reframe how we think about that well i think the same is true of you know the population of individuals who are latter day saints that are single what whatever their stage of life they're not a problem they are a tremendous resource to the church to their families to their communities we need to see them in that light and and in, invite them, you know, to kind of um, fulfill those possibilities. And of course, many of them, uh, that's exactly what they're doing already. But for those of us who, who aren't single, help us to see that and, and help us to find ways to support them in that, you know, in a meaningful way.
0: Right.
1: You know, Much of the best <clears throat> counsel and advice I got going through it was from other people who had been divorced and come out the other end, and remarried, and had happy lives, and and I felt like, you know, they were the most real with me in a lot of ways about what was going on, and and at the same time, I want to say this to to other people who may listen to this, who are listening more because they have a loved one, or something like that that's going through it, I think a lot of people are uncomfortable to talk with a mid-single about the pain they are experiencing or have experienced because I don't know what to do about it. You know, I, I haven't been through that, or I'm not a, I'm not a professional counselor or anything like that. And and one thing I would say is you don't, you don't have to be a professional counselor. You don't have to be especially trained to invite someone over to watch a basketball game and get some pizza and feel normal.
0: And sometimes that's the best thing you can do It's right. just, do something
1: normal. Um, Having said that, I want to ask you to address, I know when Kathy was was divorced, both of us had divorces, in fact, that were not our choice. But uh, Kathy was faced with a situation where uh, she had never really earned a living and
0: well not fully supported myself that is
1: right her former husband had you know is a decent father in many ways and he he has the kids about half the time and so from that standpoint there was some support and you know sharing the kids back and forth and so on but
0: that helped a lot but it creates its own challenges there's pros and cons to shared custody
1: right and she had to to figure out all right How am I going to support myself for the rest of my life? Because this husband is no longer going to do that completely. And child support was not going to be enough to live on, really. And then how am I going to manage to balance that with raising two young children, even if I only have them half the time? And so I think there was a tremendous sense in the beginning with Kathy of feeling this overwhelm. And I think for me it was well, for her it was my career hasn't started for me. It was like my career's in the toilet, uh, because my mind has been on other things um, while I went through my divorce, and I was running a business. And so I had a tremendous sense of overwhelm, and you experienced uh, me talking about about that sometimes. So what I would like to ask you then is for our listeners who are experiencing a great sense of overwhelm like oh my gosh life is too much for me there's too many things coming at me i mean for me i couldn't even open my mail i mean i was there was so much anxiety about i don't want to even know what's in it right. you know and and it just feels like it continues to pile up faster than i can deal with it
0: and for me i was i was superwoman i showed up in the role of mom and dad provider, nurture, all of it. I just took over and I did all of it and I wore myself out.
1: Yeah, her health went into a serious tailspin for a while. So what, what would you suggest to single parents or you know, mid-singles who are dealing with this feeling that life is overwhelming, <clears throat> that things come at me faster than I can deal with them and just feel no hope?
2: Yeah, very good question. Um, You know, I've spent the last six or seven years in my professional work. I'm working with highly stressed populations, in this case, farm and ranch populations, as as well as some others. Right. And, And in those circumstances, people are often dealing with extreme stresses that are beyond their immediate control. And when you are dealing with stresses that feel like they're beyond your ability to influence um, then you start to feel overwhelmed. Um, how can I cope with something that I can't control? I don't have control over, right? And so that's, and so trying to figure out how do you help someone who feels like they're they're drowning, you know, and they're they're trying to figure out where are my lifelines? That's an extremely challenging situation. But one of the one of the things that I think is really important is to realize. Um, the importance of your health in those situations, and and any, any person if they are looking at uh, um, their familial situation, you know their individual situation, they can sit down and you know take stock of their life and say, okay, what are the assets that are available to me? And it's interesting because you know it's very common for those who are working in in that industry of farming and ranching to sit down and say, my assets include land, um, buildings, equipment, um, livestock, you know, seed, things like that, things that are essential to, to their, to their life and their, and their business, so to speak, that they, that they count on as resources to help them be successful, but almost never do they include health individual health and relationship health as key resources and yet I would argue that actually health individual health and relationship health are the most important resources for the success of their family experience and their and their business operation and in fact I make that argument in pretty much every every news interview that I do every article that I write that you're you know that your health is your most important resource, and so prioritizing your physical health and your mental health, your spiritual health, um, making sure that you are doing the self-care that is needed um, for your health to be able to function well. I think that is priority number one. I think, I think Kathy, I mean, um, early on when I when I met you, we were talking a little bit about health issues, and I think I. I said, well, I'm a doctor. I'm not a medical doctor, but I'm quote a, a doctor of, you know, family well-being. And I said, I'm gonna write you a prescription to basically focus on your health. It's it needs to be a big priority.
0: Actually, your prescription was relax more, stress less, or stress less, <laughs> relax more. I don't remember the order, but I did write it on my fridge and I said it for a year. And I did, I, I did it and it helped. And
2: yeah. And that's, that's the thing. Stress is actually takes a really big toll on health and it can take a really big toll on family relationships. And so well,
0: um, and I found that stress isn't as much a function of what's being thrown at you, but a, a function of what you're thinking about that, because I have a very full plate, but I actually am trying to see myself as not all that busy, uh, you know, that I have options that I have all the time that I need and it helps a lot when i think that way rather than think i'm so overwhelmed i'm so stressed right. you know because those are the those are disempowering and they can cause overwhelm and stress in our bodies that we cannot, you know that we can shift if we change our our thoughts about it and um, you know your your answer remind, reminded me of the concept of don't kill the goose that laid the golden eggs that our children our communities you know, or, uh, you know, our own sphere of in- influence is, is affected by how well we're able to perform our duties. And we can't do that if we're, if we're not taking care of ourselves.
2: Yeah, I mean, in, in your book, intentional courtship, that's one of the things I think is somewhat unique, and that it was very engaging to me is that, um, that you address specifically this issue of um, you know and of course you're talking about you know the possibility of finding a, a marriage partner and happiness in that life experience and the power of your thoughts in being able to either prepare you for that possibility and be more successful in that or the power of your thoughts in being able to um, to in a sense disempower you or to to obstruct your path to having a more successful experience with that with that family possibility, and and I think again the same is very true in the way we think about the stress we experience and the resources available to us. For example, um, if you if you say to yourself, well, um, you know, in the LDS faith community, you know, they're just so focused on on Whole families, rather than families that have gone through a, a break or a difficult transition, they they're not going to be able to be a resource to us. I can't go there. I'm I'm just going to, you know, draw a line through that possibility. Well, versus seeing as, oh no, there's a lot of resource there, but I need to I need to help unlock that. Right. right. Well, and
0: some might have a bad experience and think. Sure. The entire ward doesn't know doesn't appreciate my situation, they don't understand me, and you write off everyone by one or two bad experiences, you know, where every person in the ward is a different person and has a different capacity to be helpful, and I like, like what you said, unlock the possible resources that are there.
2: Yeah, and, and sometimes when we deal with stress, what happens, going back to what you were saying about how we perceive that what we were experiencing, as we start to problematize everything, so problematizing is means that we is that we adopt a negative interpretation of every you know possible experience that we're having with with something or the world around us, um, and it immediately elevates the stress level um, rather than diminishing your stress level, um, and it's and it's it's. It's not only what we're experiencing, but our perception of what we're experiencing and how we're reacting to it, that actually becomes more problematic. And, of course, um, that takes an enormous toll on our mental health and our spiritual health and and how we interact with others, therefore our relationship health.
0: Right. And the opposite of problematizing would be looking at life for all its possibilities and looking for solutions, being solution focused.
1: Right. One thing I... You know, I find it interesting that you're working on farm stress, and you know the country is going through a big drought right now, and that's obviously affecting many farmers, and it deeply affects them, and yet they have really no control over it whatsoever, and and that is sort of that um, that difficult situation where yes, I have something that's happening. But it's completely outside my agency. It might as well be a cancer diagnosis, or you know, there would be more you could do with that even than, than with the drought. I, I think of this, I think, partly because, um, and this is for the benefit of our listeners, both Sean and I, even though we grew up in the city in Orem, we were sent when we were teenagers to work on our family ranches. My, my family's was in near Cokeville, Wyoming, and Sean's was near Altamont, Utah. And so we both have some background, working cattle and moving sprinkler pipe and all that kind of stuff. And, and uh, I guess, you know, when I think about the kind of stress that farmers are going through and, and I mean, I, I read somewhere recently that their suicide rate was like triple the national average recently or something like that. I, I had an experience recently in church where somebody... We we were talking about that scripture, you know, where he that refuses to, to support his family is worse than an infidel and has denied the faith. And and somebody brought up the point that some people don't refuse to work to to work to feed their family, but simply find it hard and have mental health issues and whatever. And a a, a member of, of our ward who had grown up on a farm says I can't believe what I'm hearing you know when I was a kid I grew up on this ranch and if you didn't go out and feed your cows in the winter they were going to die no matter how bad you felt and I think while that is true and while that is a motivation to get your butt out of bed and go feed your cows it's also kind of missing the point that your mental health does matter it matters to yourself and it matters to your cows you know it uh because sure i mean anybody can get up out of bed as long as they're not you know dead they can get up and go push themselves out the door to go feed some cows but if you're miserable you're not really paying as much attention to those cows you're not noticing that one of them is about to give birth you know things like that so i guess my my question is when when someone's in the middle of that stress we We know it's best not to worry about things they have no control over, but when that thing we have no control over deeply affects us, what do you recommend to that person? My husband is leaving, I don't want him to, but he's made up his mind. you know whatever that that situation
2: might be. Uh, well, um, you know there there's a very interesting piece of um spiritual wisdom, I guess I would say, that was offered by President Russell M. Nelson not too long ago in a general conference talk, where he was referring to the experience of joy and the potential for joy in life. And he said, I think very deliberately and explicitly, you know, that our experience of joy in life, and of course, family life is something that we want to experience joy in, he says, but it has much less to do with what we are experiencing than it has to do with our focus. And specifically, of course, he's referring to our spiritual focus and our our connection with, with the Savior. But I mean, there's some profound um, implications of that for our, our mental health and our relationship health, um, including that uh, even when you are experiencing something that's outside of your control, you can Uh, seek to exercise some control over what are the things within your immediate control. And and one of the things that I do with a lot of these populations that I'm working with is try to help them understand that while there are many things outside of their immediate control, they can make a lot of daily choices um, in their own health. That actually, a lot of things that we do for our health, like, for example, uh, trying to trying to improve our our sleep and the rewards that come from that, trying to um, focus on our diet, trying to focus on um, our exercise and and other things. There's a whole variety of things that you can do that are actually extremely beneficial for your health. They don't cost a lot of money um, and they pay tremendous dividends. They're a tremendous investment in health as your most important resource that you rely on to be. And what what's really critical to understand is health is the resource that we rely on, not the only one, but probably the most important one to get through difficult times, to be resilient when we're affected by things that are very challenging. And so, um, and I think, you know, it's interesting as I've gotten older, you know, and and work in my field, it's interesting to reflect on how many things from a spiritual perspective, you know within the gospel, are designed to to optimize our health, not not to necessarily remove life difficulties, but to make us more resilient uh, in the face of the difficulties that we will experience, right? Make us more 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 able to have health circumstances that are going to to help us through those, things. And when I talked earlier about social support, that's a very essential element of our relationship health is having connected, caring relationships and being able to rely on those when we need a boost, when we need assistance, you know, whether it's someone to help with a child when we need some respite care or, you know, someone to sit down with us and say, hey, let's just have a meal or or watch a game or, you know, have a talk when we need an adult who can just listen to us share our heart? So, so I guess those are some of the thoughts that I would share related to that.
0: Awesome. And you know, I've been I've thought a lot about the fact that Jesus healed people people before he ministered to them, and it's interesting that you would bring up that uh, scriptures tend to help us be more healthy, more resilient, probably so that we can be more receptive to the Spirit. Because I know when I was really, really sick um, and like my stomach wasn't working, my brain wasn't working very well because they're very closely connected. connected. Um, It was super hard for me to hear this, feel the spirit. And I had gone like a month or about a year before to the temple every week. I always felt inspired. I always felt the spirit. You know, I, I felt personal revelation in my working in my life. But when I was really, really, really sick, it just wasn't there. And that's another thing is, is that, Um, he also experienced that loss of spirit. And I think that's because we sometimes experience that in life when we have something really traumatic happen or when we're really, really ill, Um, you know, and sometimes it's during those moments that our resilience comes from previous experiences with the spirit that we can recall, or maybe even relying on other people's hope um, for a while.
2: Yeah, very much. And I mean, you know, that, that concept of healing, there's so much, there's so much of that, that's embedded in, you know, in the gospel. And of course, you know, someone who goes through life experiences, if, if you're single, um, there may be experiences that you've passed through in life that have been very wounding, you know, and, um, and so healing is, is something that may be, at the forefront of what you're concerned about in your life well, what are some things that i've experienced that i need to heal from or you have concerns for people around you your children for example have they been wounded by experiences that were not of their own choosing and yet they they've been hurt by some things you know they've experienced difficulty and of course you know that's one of the topics that you guys address to a degree in intentional courtship you know if you're a parent and you've gone through a say you've gone through a difficult divorce experience, you might feel like, hey, my children have been wounded by this experience and I didn't choose that for them, it's not what I wanted for them, but unfortunately it's what I've experienced and what they have now experienced and how can I help them to be resilient or to be less wounded by it? And so healing is very much something that you need to think about and that you need to to address at times in your own experience. because even though we desire to be healthy, there's times where we experience things that are that are unhealthy, and we have to think about how how do we move in that direction and what's going to help us to do that. Right, and, and
0: radical acceptance with what we can't control, and then looking for the solutions in what we can control is like the serenity prayer. Um, that's a that's a big uh, help, I think, for for anyone who's a mid single to remember what is in their power and what is not and to let go of what's not and focus on what is. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So I think that's a good segue into another question that we intended to ask you. Many, if not all mid-singles in our experience are dealing with trauma from past relationships. Uh, the, The pain that they've experienced even childhood issues that might have contributed to blowing up past relationships, those people with those issues are are overrepresented, I think, in the mid-singles community. And and we've had private conversations about that as well. So, So I have two questions against that background. One is, what can our listeners do to manage this and prevent it from contaminating future uh, dating or marital relationships? And then, secondly, what can they do to heal from the trauma?
0: Probably the, the first question is how do you heal from trauma?
1: The first question, well, yeah, yeah, but also how do you manage whatever trauma you still have?
0: Right. To... And then be able to move healthfully into a, a new relationship.
2: Yeah. Well, let me maybe talk a little bit about that experience of childhood trauma. Um, it's interesting. I mean, I didn't have a lot of, tr- a lot. In my professional training through my PhD that focused on childhood trauma. I mean I had awareness of of things that you would might call childhood trauma but but it was really it's been over the course of my career or the last 20 plus years that I've really dealt a lot with that issue and done a lot of research with it. I mean it's a particularly challenging point that can affect individuals in their adult relationships but um but just having an understanding of what we mean by that, what does that look like, and have I experienced it? Just, just going through a learning process to understand that has resulted in some of the most aha moments of my life experience, as well as people that I share it with. So I think, um, you know, starting to understand what you don't know, but but affects you. <laughs> is a really important starting point. So about 20 plus years ago, there was a groundbreaking study done in California in partnership with Kaiser Permanente Health Association and and it examined the topic of what are called adverse childhood experiences in a very large, typical adult population. And what they found was shocking. Um, The occurrence of certain experiences in childhood, such as, for example, growing up with a family member who was incarcerated, or a family member who had drug and alcohol addiction issues, or with parents who had intimate partner violence occurring, or um, if you as a child were victimized by physical or emotional or sexual abuse. All of these experiences, types of experiences, were collectively termed adverse childhood experiences or ACEs. And they were shown in this research to have A direct and very high correlation with the occurrence of physical, mental, and behavioral health issues far into adulthood. So, not only did people experience much higher rates, not only of depression, which is a mental health concern, or alcoholism, which is a behavioral health concern, but of physical health problems such as heart disease, cancer, um, and a host of other health issues. And so, this linkage between trauma and childhood and then the occurrence of something like heart disease, cancer, or other major health concerns, physical health concerns um, in in adulthood and later life was just a major linkage that was really unacknowledged and misunderstood prior to that. In the last 20 years, there's just been a wealth of research in this area, not only on understanding those linkages and why they occur, but on the whole topic of, of um, how to be resilient and heal from trauma right so and what's fascinating
0: with what? ACEs, so for the, with those with aces this all sounds really depressing so tell us the it starts at, yes
2: it starts out yeah i i did a presentation on on this a couple of years ago for our staff and i said this is a two-part presentation we got to the end of the first two hours and one of my staff members raised their hand and they're like so is there any hope? (laughs) (laughs) And I said, I said, I said, just because you've had these experiences doesn't mean that determines your destiny. It's not doom and gloom. There's a whole other part to the story, which is how do human beings be resilient in the face of this? And there's this whole other body of amazing research on resilience that shows that um, actually, the protective factors in your life, even if you experience childhood trauma or adverse childhood experiences, the protective factors in your life, or what we might call resiliency factors, they are much more predictive of your long-term health outcomes than if you've had the experience of trauma. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. So that's what, that's to me is what is so amazing is the things that help you to, to flourish. The things that help you to be resilient are much more powerful. And one of the most powerful things is our positive social connections with others. That's that's probably the most powerful is positive social connections with others. And we find for, for example, if kids, if they just have one caring adult in their life, they're much more resilient than they would be otherwise. Um, a healthy spiritual life is tremendous is a tremendous protective factor. It's, trem- it's tremendously helpful with resilience. So there's things like that, that, that we kind of take for granted, you know, as being part and parcel of the fabric of our faith experience as Latter-day Saints that are actually tremendously important to help people heal from and overcome childhood trauma. Mm-hmm. So, so I would say a very basic place to start. So now having a little bit of that background is, starting with some assessment. What has been your past childhood experience? People need to acknowledge it and they need to give attention to it if some type of healing is needed. And I think there's a lot of people who can tell you that unacknowledged trauma is a poison that it's like a long acting poison that slowly seeps into the person's health and into their relationships. And it will come out in negative ways if it's unacknowledged and undealt with. I mean, it's kind of like a, you know, like a slow spreading cancer. You may not notice the effects early, but if you leave it unattended, over time it will wreak havoc on your, on your, on your health. And so the same is true with with I think unattended childhood trauma often. And and for example, I mean, I had um, a friend who, in their uh, marriage relationship, their partner um, showed all the signs of <laughs> the way they would react to things in the relationship, showed all the signs of having unattended childhood trauma. And the problem was was that, you know, their, their, um, their, mechan- their coping mechanism was simply to avoid any attempt to deal with that unacknowledged trauma and as a result you know it just resulted in um more pain kind of flowing out into the relationship and and more dysfunction over time and just that unwillingness to acknowledge that they had experienced something in childhood that was painful or damaging um allowed it to continue to wreak its its negative influence on them and how they were dealing with the world and, and stresses in in the relationship. So so getting to that starting point, whether it's you know with a counselor, a doctor, or something, and and it's becoming basic medical practice to screen for childhood trauma. You can ask for it at your medical office. So so that's we, a very important starting point. And then found, the next step is really go ahead. Kat, oh I'm we sorry. found
0: EFT to be really helpful in releasing trauma. I mean there were some things Jeff and I, when we were first married, we couldn't talk about without arguing and getting really frustrated and not being able to resolve anything. And then we went to EFT on our own individually to, the, to a therapist and just released some trauma from our past. Um, and some of it, I think, has to do with trauma from previous relationships, as well as childhood. And all of a sudden and forevermore, that is no longer a source of tension for us at all. Like that, it was amazing how much progress we made without even doing any therapy specifically on that issue. Just getting trauma out of our bodies and allowing ourselves to let that go.
2: Yeah, there are some very good therapies available, and they're continue to develop evidence based therapies. I would encourage people to 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 be open to evidence based therapies that can be very powerful, as well as you know, for some people that they. they look at and consider other complementary therapies that are available to them for healing from trauma. That's important. I think one thing that's really important is to learn. It it really does require some learning. If you've experienced trauma, it's very important to learn what are the patterns that tend to emerge from childhood trauma, because part of what happens is that it affects your development as an individual and the way you respond to stressful events. And so, for example, you might perceive a threat where no threat exists. So like in a conversation with a partner wh- that is actually a fairly normal interaction, you might perceive something as negative when it's really not intended as negative or, or you tend to have a response that, that um, is we call hyper-responsive. Okay, so it means that you have an over-the-top negative response to something, and it's hard for you to come back to a normal baseline of functioning. So so an event that might be um, for, for a couple who hasn't experienced childhood trauma, an event that might just be a typical, hey, we're mad at each other for a little while, and then we come back to normal functioning. For someone who's experienced childhood trauma, their stress response system is developed in a way that it's, it's hard for them to come back down to that normal functioning. They might carry that high level of perceived threat and a high level of like emotional arousal and anxiety for not only hours, but days and not come back down to, hey, are we okay with each other? I mean, what you guys have read some of John Gottman, for example, and his awesome. seven principles for making a marriage work. And he says, he talks about, hey, coming back down to like what we call a repair attempt, which is just kind of normalizing. Are, are we okay now? Like we have this little spat, but hey, are we okay? And you don't come back down to that necessarily easily. If you've been victimized by a childhood trauma that makes the way your mind and body respond to a stress event hypersensitive and enormously powerful. And like, there's nothing that you did that was wrong. Um, when you were growing up, to to develop this way, it's just what happened to you and how your system naturally developed in response to that, which might be adaptive at the time, but then becomes unhealthy as as you okay. grow up and you learn to cope with events. So if you can learn to understand why am I perceiving things negatively when really you know my spouse was saying something and it wasn't meant like to hurt me or it wasn't meant in an aggressive way, but why do I perceive it that way? Or why do I respond in a way that's really aggressive towards them? Or why do I feel like I got to avoid a situation that makes me anxious, but I know I should talk about this, but I just can't. Right. Why, why is this happening? And if you start to understand those things and then with the help, you can get help with different kinds of therapies. We've talked a little bit about that they can be very helpful in starting to overcome that and heal from that. Now th- there's a whole variety of things that you can do to heal from that. But having a, an understanding of the why and what is happening and why to me is very to me is very helpful cuz then you can start to quote take charge. You still have agency. Yeah. But you can start to take charge of that, but it's a le- it's very much a learning process that I think you ne- often need to go through.
0: Well, and I think that we um- the mid singles with pre- previous relationship uh, trauma, I think all of what you're saying applies to them, um, both in their you know to look back all the way to their childhood, but also back to previous relationships, and that the right. solutions are the same. And I I know I've been on the receiving and the giving end of those kind of traumatic re- uh, conversations where. Um, you know, I said something and it was perceived from the child in my spouse, you know, um, I've experienced it with Jeff and former, um, relationships. And then I've also been even recently where Jeff, um, said or did something that really triggered trauma in me. And I was crying and I was upset and I knew that it was irrational because I'm aware enough to know that it wasn't him. That it is in me, um, but I still isn't pleasant. And he, you know, he's really good about recognizing it too, so that we can, you know, be there for each other when that happens. Um, but you know, I just I wanted to mention that the first eight of our 20 chapters of intentional courtship are all about establishing peace because we believe that part of intentional courtship and even being able to move into healthy relationships is establishing peace within oneself. And to be able to face these traumas and be aware of them, like you said, name them, be aware, and and then be able to use our agency to make different choices. I love everything you said about that. It was great. You know, and- well, and and I would say I I would
2: say one of the things that I found unique about your book was that you addressed that you know very explicitly and and helpfully, um, and you know helping people understand that taking a healthy self into a healthy, into a future relationship is important for a healthy future relationship, especially if you have experienced trauma in past uh, adult relationships, like a a marriage um, that resulted in divorce or something like that. And so, so focusing on, on your individual health, whether not just your mental health, but your spiritual health and how to do that, I think is, One of the kind of hallmark themes of intentional courtship that I would recommend to people is that, you know, they'll they'll not only get a book that helps them to think about, okay, what might my dating experience be like as a mid single, but what can help me to be healthy in that dating experience or to prepare for a healthy future marriage? I mean, so there's a lot more uh, in there that I think is very helpful for folks. Thank um, you that that Um, I would recommend.
0: I thought I just mentioned the, the subtitle of our book Intentional Courtship is mid Singles Guide to Peace, Progress, and Pairing Up in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And it is divided into those three sections of peace, making progress with dating relationships and then pairing up and really being intentional about choosing your, your eternal companion.
1: And, yeah. and the way that your relationship will develop with that person together One, one thing that struck me while we've been talking, and it it reminded me of something that happened, you know, Kathy mentioned even recently, she's had experiences with trauma, and I have too. I mean, we both brought some into our marriage. But we've both also both done a lot of work on it. And, you know, the the thing I think she was thinking of recently, I mean, we had this mundane task, we needed to change our passwords at the bank, the bank had requested it. I was doing it my way and she was doing it her way and something in that triggered her and she was crying. And,
0: and I even like, we laughed about it too because like I was crying and laughing at the same time because I was upset and I knew that it was ridiculous.
1: And I, I mean, I said to her in that moment, what are you afraid of? And, you know, I put my arms around her and said, this is going to be okay. You know, we're going to both know what the password is. We're going to be fine. You know, this is, this is not something we're going to have a huge conflict about we're okay. Well, the, the, the trauma episode for lack of a better word lasted about 10 minutes, not 10 hours or 10 days, you know, or 10 months. Um, and I think what you talked about clear at the beginning of this discussion on trauma is a little bit of understanding of what's happening and being able to recognize it in yourself um, and in your partner And in your partner helps to shorten those episodes, because you realize, okay, I'm not really thinking rationally. Um, one other thing, you talked about something like a base, normal baseline of functioning, my new word for that is shalom. Because uh, shalom, peace. means yeah. it means peace, but it means more than that, it means wholeness, and it means restoration. And So I think at a deep level, I've got to know when I'm experiencing shalom
0: or when you're not
1: and when that is disrupted in some way. And when I'm functioning from a disrupted point of view, I can better understand that I'm not seeing the world the way it is right now. I am not seeing things with real perspective. I am seeing things through the lens of fear.
0: Right. Or if you're hangry, you eat a little bit and all of a sudden the world is more clear. (laughs)
2: Yeah, I, I, would, I would bring up also one reason why this developing a sense of understanding of how I am responding or perceiving things because of an experience of trauma. It's not only important to understand it in yourself or a potential marriage partner, but in your kids. Because um, kids uh, who have gone through an experience, it might be a loss experience with the loss of a parent why someone may be single. It may be, um, you know, they've they've gone through the lost experience of parents getting divorced. So children that you are parenting will have experienced trauma and they will be re- responding in, in ways that if you understand, oh, they're responding out of, out of trauma rather than out of, you know, they're choosing to be, you know, they're choosing to be defiant or whatever it is. Oh, you're like, oh, wait, this is what is going on it can really help you be more patient and purposeful in your parenting. And that's really, that's really important as well. So there's a lot of benefits that that come from that. I, you know, I I would say one of the most useful insights for me spiritually, as I worked with people um, in a gospel setting, a church setting is helping people understand the, the vast dimensions of the atonement of Jesus Christ that apply to this particular issue We often construe the atonement as being primarily or only about um, the issue of um, our personal repentance for individual sin. And while of course, it certainly applies to that. At the same time, um, part of what the Savior experienced was, in a sense, through the atonement, was that he experienced um, what it meant to be victimized by the sinful choices of others uh, beyond our own individual control. And not only did he experience that, but he has infinite power, compassion, and wisdom to be able to assist us when we have been victimized by the sins or negative choices of others um, beyond our control. That's what we call trauma, (laughs) Mm -hmm. right? And and the atonement has immense power to help us heal from that, just as it helps us heal from from our own, you know, individual sins. And we we don't talk very much, um, or as much as we should, I think, about that side of the atonement. And yet, um, it's plentiful in the scriptures. And of course, part of part of the reason, you know, it talks about in the Book of Mormon why the Savior experienced that is so that he could sucker us in the midst of our our pains and our difficulties and to to succor us means to run to us to assist us to help us overcome those difficulties and part of the way he does that is through enlightenment by helping us spiritually understand why we are fearful why we are angry why we are reactive um but also help us to gives us the power and the ability through grace to be able to to be less that way and to develop more towards wholeness that Jeff is talking about um, in the way we perceive and respond to those things. So, so the atonement's a tremendous resource for people as well in those circumstances. I
0: love that you brought that up because really that is the ultimate resource. Everything else can go around that and be amplified and supported by really where the power is and I, I actually, myself personally, think a lot about the healing power that is there. Um, but I also that enabling power to make changes and to become more aware of our subconscious behaviors and triggers. Um, that is such a profound statement, Sean. Thank you for sharing that.
1: Is your, your question about trauma? Oh,
0: no, I just have oh. one question at the end. We're going to start wrapping up.
1: Yeah, let me throw, throw out one more question about trauma, and then I have another question that's a little bit lighter. But okay. uh, many uh, mid-singles are seeing red flags everywhere when they're out trying to date, and a big part of this, um, there, there's a lot of uh, mid-single experience, I think, related to sexual problems in prior relationships. And I think this is compounded by the fact that sex can be kind of a taboo subject in our religious culture, and we almost always discuss it paired with sexual sin. And so I, I think if you have an unshareable problem, and I think you're the one who, who gave me that verbiage, unshareable problem, it, it becomes bigger and it grows. So so with that in mind, how can a mid-single during you know living a celibate life and and yet hoping for a future marriage, manage that situation in a way that prepares for a healthy sexual relationship uh, in the future.
2: Yeah, um, you you mentioned early on uh, in the introduction that I uh, was a pretty reserved person (laughs) on the topic of physical affection in my, uh, early life, you know. And it doesn't mean I I didn't date or hold hands. I did those things, but but um reserved my just happened that my first, you know, kiss was with the the young woman who became my wife and we're still married, you know, um 30 nearly 31 years later. Um but I did understand, you know, because I saw it modeled in my own home as well as talked about the Importance of a healthy approach to sexual intimacy and that being one of the key building blocks of preparing for a for a happy and successful marriage relationship um yeah
1: your and, dad was very open about such things he was a stake president but he didn't mind talking about how much he liked sex
2: <laughs> no uh not to give too much information but, but he and my mom had a a quote bumper sticker um, (laughs) on the door to their shower that said sex cures headaches (laughs) so you know it it was kind of approached in a with a fairly healthy mindset you know that this is this is not an unmentionable like you know it's interesting hubie brown who was a you know a member of the first presidency back in the 60s Wrote a book called *You and Your Marriage*. In there, he said that there's too many Latter-day Saints who think of of uh, sexual intimacy as a quote unmentionable misfortune that befalls them <laughs> when they enter a marriage relationship. He's, and he and then he kind of rebuked that and said, you know, this is not a healthy mindset with which to approach the marriage altar. Well, so uh, um, a have, number most of years,
0: people are excited about that.
2: Yeah. well well, people have but again people have varying experiences and some people bring trauma and and this is a very sensitive issue if someone brings uh childhood trauma related to to um sex um, or
1: trauma from a prior marriage
2: like or a prior marriage yeah it can be a very
1: or someone that can be a very very challenging
2: thing so it's very important to be sensitive to that um but i wrote an article. Online for Meridian Magazine years ago for an LDS audience, and it was called "Fulfilling the Sexual Stewardship in Marriage." And I had taken that terminology from a former professor of mine named Brent Barlow, who had referred to the idea of a sexual stewardship in marriage. And what I tried to frame about that is to understand that, you know, I mean, our Heavenly Father has endowed us with a number of a number of things as we go through the our experience in mortality, and of course, the potential for for partnering with someone and and sharing a sexual experience with them is one of those, and it's a it's a very extremely powerful thing, and um, and very powerful. It can be very powerful in a negative way, and it can be very powerful in a positive way but just that there's immense power that is gifted to most individuals in life. And that relates to how we express our, our sexual powers. Right. And, and so that becomes a stewardship when you, when you are given something that, that has, you know, great potential and you have to make choices relative to how you exercise that that's kind of what we define as a stewardship. but we don't typically think of our, you know, um, our sexuality or or sexual intimacy and in marriage as a stewardship. But I think it's a very powerful image to think about and to think about, okay, what what comes with that stewardship? What does that mean? And if you have a stewardship like that, but you don't really understand, how to fulfill the functions of that stewardship, what you are responsible for, or how to carry out that stewardship, then it's probably not going to be, you're not gonna be able to fulfill all of the things that are possible with that stewardship. And so having s- some essential knowledge is, is really important. Um, uh, John Gottman years ago in, in a book that he wrote, and I'll just say, John Gottman is a, is a pioneering researcher on, on marriage, but he, in a book, he, he talked about four communication patterns that are highly predictive of the potential for divorce. And he called these negative communication patterns the four horsemen of the apocalypse. And yes. um, in my article, I came up with four things that I called the four horsemen of sexual apocalypse in marriage oh. <laughs> or in preparing for your sexual stewardship in marriage which are going to make you much less successful. And those four things were ignorance, inhibition, ill will, and immorality, right? And um, these are things that that can really derail us from having a healthy approach to, to sexual intimacy in a marriage relationship. And so the converse is the opposite of those things will help prepare us for success. So you know the opposite of ignorance is going to be a willingness to learn a healthy understanding of our bodies of sexual intimacy of how they of how we function you know as men and women as partners things like that that's really important um inhibition is kind of um you know that we're unwilling to engage you know those powers um and Jeff could rightfully accuse me of inhibition with kissing the young women who I dated prior to marriage, but there's a place for inhibition, obviously, as you're preparing for marriage, and as just that Jeff said, you know, um, you know that you're you're having some some control over how you ex- express that part of your life when you are. A single person in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Yeah,
0: and the trick is if you've been married before, you go back to living the law of a chastity in, and being more inhibited, and then if you get remarried, then, then you become less inhibited or uninhibited, and you do the opposite whether you're married or not, you know, or, or if you're married versus if you're not.
2: Yeah. And, and I think the important thing to understand is that inhibition is not necessarily a negative thing. It's like, you know, Jeff referred to earlier that he and I both had the experience of, of growing up um, in ranch life to a degree. We both had experiences working with horses, horses. I love horses. I still work with them today. Horses are unbelievably powerful but you don't want to be just subject to the power of the horse. You can get hurt. I mean, you remember the story of Chris, Christopher Reeves, the actor who played Superman mm-hmm. and he was injured for life after a fall from a Jump horse yeah. that was out of control. So with a horse, you have um, a system to govern and guide that horse. Okay. So you have a, you have a, um, a halter, you have a bridle, so to speak, and that bridle gives you reins that help you to steer and guide the power of that horse. You don't erase or eliminate the power of the horse, but you govern it, you guide it, you control it. And, and I think the same is true when referring to sexual intimacy. You know that that it's meant to be guided and controlled. Um, and if we do that in a way that our Heavenly Father encourages, it will prove to be a tremendous blessing to us. And and so, understanding that potential, um, and it's meant to be expressed in marriage. So, for me, I guess the 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 complementary notion to, to inhibition, I guess, is having an accurate understanding of of our Heavenly Father's plan for sexual expression in marriage, and being prepared for that. Understanding, you know, and there's a lot of statements from different uh, church leaders across time that basically say what Hubie Brown said and saying, look, God did not intend this to be an unmentionable misfortune in marriage. It's meant to be a beautiful, God-ordained expression of love and caring for each other. But you need to be, and you need to be prepared for that expression when the time comes.
0: Well, and I think being able to keep that in mind when you are single and living right. off chastity, to be able to have a healthy mindset about um sexual relations and be able to look forward to it as you know that can build our hope I think is is believing that that is a gift we can one day have again rather than um just feeling deprived all the time um or whatever you know you might be experiencing in that but I think let's go back to your because I love the antidotes of the apocalypse so the antidote of ignorance is education right and um inhibition to learn uh what did you say inhibition would be
2: an accurate understanding of of god's plan for sexual expression in marriage okay
0: and then what's Um, the third one
2: so the third one is ill will and ill will to me was just kind of a catch-all term for things like emotional or verbal abuse um inattentiveness apathy isolation anger all these forms of negativity that couples might practice mm. on each other. And then they perpetuate these, these feelings of hurt or ill, these ill feel, feelings or willful hurt. And there's no aspect of a sex, of a marriage relationship. That's more sensitive to emotional upheaval than the sexual relationship. Mm-hmm. Like two partners, like one partner can go from hot to cold very quickly If these emotion, you know, in other words, their emotional readiness for and willingness to engage in a sexual relationship can be derailed pretty quickly by an unkind word, by a flash of anger, by, um, you know, uh, all of these small expressions of ill will towards one another that can occur.
0: Which would be motivation to be kind in a marriage.
2: that's right. So, so kindness and ki- kindness, consideration and care are the essential antidote to ill will. You know, um, an angry word is likely to pour cold water on your spouse's romantic on switch pretty quickly. You know, <laughs> right. um, while while things like kindness, an apology, consideration for someone, that's an invitation towards hey, I lo- I love you. I'm loving you verbally. I'm loving you emotionally. This is an also an invitation to, to love you physically. Does that make sense?
0: Absolutely.
2: So so those are the things I would say are the antidote to ill will. Ill will sabotages the fulfillment of sexual love in marriage, whereas kindness and consideration um, is the reverse. And right. it, it paves the way towards fulfillment in that arena of marriage so
0: remind us the fourth one and tell us the answer. yeah
2: so the first one i the first one i just call immoral the fourth one i just call immorality and immorality are are things that are kind of like a um a higher level extension of ill will but immorality includes things like um unfaithfulness towards one's spouse um you know other kinds of sinful behavior that would be very alienating to to one spouse or to the health of a relationship Mm -hmm. right and so so and 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 as jeff mentioned earlier those sorts of things actually get the the primary attention in talks on this subject in a church setting because there's a responsibility to warn people about the tremendously negative effects of sexual sin, for example. But sometimes in the process, we lose sight of all these other things that are really important for a healthy sexual relationship. And if we don't talk about them, we're not going to be prepared to enact those things in a healthy way when we enter into a into a marriage relationship. And, and I you know, I, I told people, you know, they're like, you know, you didn't sleep with 20 women, you know, I mean, I teach college students every day. So they're all, you didn't sleep with 20 women before you married your spouse? How did you know you could be physically compatible and all those types of things? And I said, just because I didn't, I wasn't sexually active doesn't mean I didn't think about sex or I didn't talk about sex. Like I could, you know, my religion allows me the freedom to learn and to talk about, to communicate about in a mature way so that when I'm ready for that responsibility and I step into that, I'm ready to, to enact that stewardship. And it's like, I would compare it to the parenting stewardship. When Heavenly Father entrusts us with a child, that is a, that is a heavy stewardship, right? That's a significant thing. Um, But just because um, you um, haven't, taken on that responsibility before doesn't mean you can't prepare in a lot of ways for that stewardship when it comes to absolutely
0: yes and you know so the antidote to your fourth apocalypse of immorality would be morality would be obeying the commandments it would be um healthy behaviors yeah it would
2: yeah it would be living yeah it would be living by the guidelines that come from our father in heaven that are meant to govern that part of our life experience absolutely yep You know, and and that that will bring us, you know, that will bring us happiness. Um, John, I didn't
0: expect us to discuss this, but I love that you brought this up. We could have had a whole podcast just about these four. You know, this this is great stuff.
2: And maybe we will at some point. (laughs) Um, So
0: I think he was going to finish something. Sorry.
2: Well, I was just going to say I'm a I'm a chatterbox, so certainly we could we could talk about it. But but I will say, um, I also very much appreciate that in the book you've written, that you bring up this topic pretty forthrightly, of, yeah. you know, people's past experience with, with sexual, sexual intimacy in marriage, perhaps if they've had difficulty in that area, and um, things to prepare you for a healthy experience, you know, if you want to, to enter marriage going forward, things that are going to be important for you, you know, and I think, you know, that is, the proverbial like elephant in the room sometimes um, that, you know, sometimes the conversation for individuals who are single in the church as adults becomes, they feel like the only conversation point becomes, well, are you living the law of chastity? Which, of course, that's an important consideration, but there's much more in terms of their past experience and their future hope related to they want to have you know, a healthy rather than an unhealthy experience with sexual intimacy. We, we use the term intimacy because there's so many dimensions of that experience. It, it involves care for a person and an affection. It's much more than just the physical act of being with someone. People right. want it to be a meaningful, connected, loving, healthy part of their life. And that doesn't just happen by accident. It happens by preparation and intentionality. An intentional courtship, you guys talk about that, which I appreciate, because I think it's an important part of the com- conversation for um, those who are currently living um, as single members of the church.
0: Yeah, thank you, and uh, your your cousin, it's your cousin, right, or your My cousin's, cousin's wife, cousin, uh, Laura Brotherson, Laura Brotherson Ford, yeah. and um, she's a certified sex therapist, a member of the church, and she, yeah, she I love that to help you.
2: I love to tell people, you know, Laura learned everything on that, that she knows about (laughs) that topic from me, (laughs) you know, (laughs) credit should be given where it is. No, I'm (laughs) I'm teasing. She's a great resource on that, on that topic, but but, um, yeah, she's addressed that very specifically with, with, I think, specific attention often to the perspective and needs of women with regard to that topic, which I think is helpful. I think it's very important.
0: Yeah. Well, so my question actually has to do with the book. Can I just, ask, so we each have yeah, one my, more question. Let me question. just say
2: one thing real fast. Sure. The core thing I'm getting
1: from what you've been saying, and I mean, you said a lot, so, but the core and thing. It's I'm, all been great. Yeah. The core thing I'm, I'm getting from what you said about preparing for marriage in that respect uh, with, in terms of sexual love is doing some thought work, shifting our perspectives and, and, Adopting a more positive way of thinking about it. Is that fair to say?
2: Yeah, I I think very much. You can have a perspective on the topic that is dominated by by negative thinking or misunderstanding. But I think when you have a perspective that is informed by, um, I would say, a heavenly perspective on the topic, um, you know, um, that is that is grounded not in um, a, a sense of asceticism, like you know, we don't want to touch sexual intimacy with a ten foot pole, but we embrace it as a gift from our heavenly Father with all the possibilities um, that uh, are meant for a couple that is married to each other. That's a much more healthy way. To approach it, but but we need to be proactive in in becoming educated about that. You know, I think when our Heavenly Father gives us a stewardship, um, he also expects us to do the homework that is necessary to productively fulfill and enjoy the blessings of that stewardship. He's not going to spoon feed it to us. We have a responsibility to do our spiritual and other homework to be able to to carry out um, you know the the things associated with that stewardship and, and to receive its blessings. And I think the same is true for sexual intimacy and in marriage.
0: That's great advice. Okay, so here's my last question for you. Uh, you mentioned in what you wrote about intentional courtship, uh, at, which is actually on the first very first page of our book, uh, which uh, we are actually discussing the launch date. It will be out in just a few weeks, and um, in that statement you made, you said you learned, you laughed, and you cried, and you believe our audience will too, and that our readers will when they read it, and I I can think of, of some things you've said previously, but maybe you could just, for the benefit of our listeners, you could mention maybe one of each of those things. What did you learn? What made you laugh? And
2: what made you cry? Um, yeah, well, from a learning perspective, I just learned much more about the the individual lived experiences of Latter-day Saints who are having that single experience, um, the depth of their experience, the hopes that they have, and you know, and the hearts that they Hope people will understand, you know, with what they're experiencing. I mean, I, it, it was very informative to me as to that individual lived experience. And I think um, each of us wants to be understood. We hope that the people around us will just, we often feel like if they could only understand what I am feeling, then my journey would be more meaningful. It would perhaps be more supported. And so that was, I think, the most important thing I learned is, you know, what is the experience that someone may be going through um, if they're a a Latter-day Saint and they've gone through a divorce or um, another experience um, that is allowing them to experience uh, life as a single member of the church?
0: So as a former bishop, would that have been helpful for you in, in working with your single members?
2: Yeah, tremendously helpful. Um, because I think it's inevitable that you feel some sense of isolation when you're going through um, experiences where you feel like maybe not everyone around you understands what you're experiencing. And so to have a sense that people do have some level of understanding and and a willingness to to engage you and and be more um, informed about what your life experience is, um, that's a that's a very helpful thing. So I think That's that was gift. that was important. As far as laughing, I I love um, some of the stories that are told in there, both um, not only of successes, but of mistakes, right? Of <laughs> mistakes of that. that you may have experienced. Um, as Jeff noted, he and I have known each other for many years. He makes way more mistakes than I do. No, I'm just, I'm just <laughs> kidding. Right? But, but just an honesty about, you know, sometimes we make life mistakes, and some of them are little, some of them are bigger, um, and sometimes we just need to be able to laugh about those, right? We gain some perspective yeah. on those things. Like, I don't know, was it a mistake for me to only kiss Kristen and not another girl before her? I would say no, but Jeff might say. Yeah, you know, um, that was a mistake. You should have, you know, you should have uh been a little bit uh more willing to kiss that other cute girl that you dated or something well, like that. Well,
0: he does like to tease you about it.
2: I'm he teases me and I'm sure Kristen would correct him and say, Nope, he he made no mistake in saving <laughs> that kiss only for me, right? So, <laughs> <laughs> um, and then and then crying, I mean. I am a storyteller. I love stories. I do a lot of writing. Um, I love to hear stories. One of my favorite kind of stories are love stories. In fact, in some of the classes that I teach, we start every class with a love story. I'm I'm like, we're learning about relationships. Love is essential in relationships. Let's hear some great stories about love and couple or family relationships. Well, this book that you guys wrote has a lot of great stories in there some made me learn some made me laugh but to be honest some of them made me cry but it wasn't it wasn't tears of like frustration it was like tears i would hope not (laughs) that's a touching that's a touching story and of course your own um story as a couple um coming together through difficult painful past experiences and finding love together um, to me is a story that made me cry. Even though, even though I was present for much of the story, um, I was I had the you know privilege of, of being able to um, attend your your marriage in the temple, um, to be there for your wedding reception, to visit with you afterwards. But it's a beautiful story because it it speaks. Um, so much about the possibilities of love um, and restoration and renewal and healing. And even though you may have experienced past heartache um, in a marriage experience. And so um, that made me cry. It really did. Cry tears of just my heart being touched and hopeful for people who want that experience. You know, people will People want different life experiences, but for those who um, are single and they hope for that life experience, I mean, I think it speaks to that possibility and, and reality and, and is touching. So all of those things are things that were messages to me from the book, and I hope that other people will experience as they have a chance to read it, and I'd you invite see, them to do you. so. Fortunately, I'm, I got it. I got the advanced copy, so I gotta <laughs> read it before most everyone else.
0: Yeah, and um I'm assuming you experienced our love story like kind of at a different level reading about it. Is that right? Yeah, yeah.
2: Yeah, I mean you could see but, the meanings we gave to everything and yeah, and it was, I mean, to me it was um to me it was um a really rich thing to be able to um step further into the genuine experience that you each had and the journey that you had to travel right to come to that experience with each other Mm -hmm. um that was that was really meaningful
0: well, and so. quite a few of our advanced readers said it was one of their favorite chapters because it gave them hope because we made so many mistakes <laughs> <laughs> that you know yeah. if 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 we could find each other the way we you know did things and the way we went about things and what we were dealing with, you know, then then it gave them hope.
1: <laughs> yeah, we try to to give people the wise way of going about this in
0: chapters one through 19 and then chapter 20 is but our love story and then it kind of we just, hope
1: they have real. hope that if they make <laughs> unwise choices from time to time or say or do something stupid that all is not lost <laughs> there right. is
2: still hope for a very happy ending yeah yeah i mean i mean jeff was the beneficiary beneficiary of kathy's patience when he did some dopey things along the way (laughs) and that gives hope to dopey people like me you know and but but really i mean i referenced earlier what we call repair repair attempts in relationships and the fact of the matter is that none of us are perfect in our human relationships in our relationship yeah in our couple relationships where we're pursuing Love, um, we make mistakes, we say things that are, are inconsiderate or unwise and repair is necessary. Hope is necessary that we can get from a place of, hey, we're not okay with each other right now, back to a place of not only we're okay, but we embrace each other, we love each other, And we're gonna keep going on this journey that we've chosen together. Like hope is the, hope is, you know, at the heartbeat of what any marriage um, that wants to be a healthy marriage is about. Hope that you'll treat one another with kindness and that the journey will be worth the investment that you're putting into it. And so, um, so your story, and the, and the story of overcoming mistakes and being patient with one another, forgiving of one another, allowing those repairs and healing to occur and being able to go forward, that's the story really of any relationship or what it can be and what we, we hope it might be and how the gospel helps us and how we can help one another in that process is, I think, much of the story of your book and that I encourage people to, to pick it up, so... Thank you. That's awesome.
1: And so we thank uh, Dr. Sean Brotherson, our personal friend and a great expert in the field of human relations. Uh, We thank him for joining us on our podcast today. Uh, It's been very enlightening and we hope you enjoy it. And remember, friends, anytime is a great time for more love in your life. We'll catch you next time.
0: Thanks so much for listening. Subscribe to LilyPod to get notice of each new weekly episode. If you enjoy what you heard, share with those you love. For more information about our organization and services, visit loveinlateryears.com.